Well, good morning. I get the before lunch crowd. That's good. So I'm going to move around a lot if that's okay. Thank you guys for having me here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Sheldon, everybody. Thank you for inviting me to your state. Um, I realized, I said to a few people, hey, I like your island. And, and, and they say, I live on the other island. This is not my island. So thank you for welcoming me to your state, everybody here. And I have to tell you, I was excited about um, coming and I, for many reasons. This is my first time to Hawaii. My wife had been before uh, briefly, uh, but it was my first time and, and flying. In, you know, I'm crawling over uh, the person next to me to try to see out and see the uh, as we're turning in uh, to Honolulu, watching everything and just watching the islands come into view. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And so I was excited about many, many things. But one of the things I was excited about was the animals. Because, you know, I've heard that you have turtles and different things like this all over the place. And I'm reading in the airplane about the gecko and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm getting really excited about this, right? And so we get here and and my wife and I, uh, we took yesterday morning to go take a walk to get coffee. You guys open your coffee shops really late around here. I was like 10.30. Are you kidding me? That's when the Starbucks shift in Canby gets off before the morning shift. Um, so we were walking around and we were walking through the park over by the bay and... and uh, uh, you know, and again, intrigued by the animals, we had saw um, uh, mongoose. I think somebody told us it was a mongoose, right? Is that right? The mongooses? All right, okay. What are they called? Mongai? I don't know what they're called. <laughs> Plural, mongai. Saw one of those. So we're walking, and uh, my wife points over to the grass, and, uh, and she says, what is that animal? And I was intrigued, and I didn't have my glasses on, so we were far enough away where I couldn't make out what it was. But I looked over, and from what I saw, it was kind of a, a black, small animal, just about maybe this tall. It had a long neck that was kind of, looked, it looked like it was looking the other way, and, and its neck was, was wavering like this. And it had what I, I guess would call, I didn't know if it was an arm or a broken wing, or what it was, but it was kind of a, a nub on one side, and it was all dark, and it was just maneuvering, a long, skinny neck. And I was so intrigued, and I went, I don't know. And she just said, what is that, honey? I said, I don't, I don't know, but it's amazing. I wonder if, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if it's hurt. I wonder if it's some kind of strange, exotic bird that would let us come up to it and feed it grass, or I didn't know what. And I, I walked up, and as I'm approaching, I, I'm hearing my wife giggle. And I look over and she goes, it's a cat. <laughs> and I realized it was a cat licking itself with its le one leg up in the air. That was doing... <laughs> and, oh, that's exotic. That's amazing. A cat licking itself by the bay. So my wife doesn't pull those off very often, but when she does, and she was just thought it was the funniest thing to play that joke on me. Again, I'm very excited about being here, and I'm also really uh, just so blessed by the scriptures that are being shared. You know, we didn't do a lot of collaborating to make sure we had a, the same scriptures or pattern, but it sounds like the Psalms are what the Lord wants to speak to us this weekend so far, what Lynn shared, with what Fernando shared, and what, with what I'm about to share. And so we're going to start our text today um, in Psalms 78. And uh, I get the amazing privilege of being able to share about leaders and how to raise leaders up. So I want to read this to you, starting in verse 1, and we can, we can read this together. But 
It says, starting in verse 1, it says, Oh, my people, listen to my teaching. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and know. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children, but will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell this power and the mighty miracles he did. For he issued his decree to Jacob. He gave his law to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to our children. So the next generation might know them even the children not yet born, that they in turn might teach their children. So each generation can set its hope anew on God, remembering his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Father God, let your word be life to us this morning. Let it be sustenance. Let it be inspiration. Let us let it be energy in our hearts, Lord God. Let it be comfort. Let it be wisdom, Lord God. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a lot of content and some stories mixed in with it. So I'm going to give you some simple words that I want you to write down. And we're going to kind of bust through that passage a little bit. And I just want you to write the verse number next to the word so you see where we're tracking with this. Because really what we're going to talk about uh, this morning is a process of developing leaders. It's a, it's a process that's very, very important. That, that, uh, uh, that, and I think that if we follow this process or a similar process, that we're going to see a multitude of young leaders come up uh, within our ministries. And I'm not talking just about youth leaders, okay? This is something that's really important to my heart. It's very easy. I'm a, I started out as a, I think I started out as a, and I was, I was sharing with somebody, you know, the more, ti- the more words on your title, that means that's the less you get to be in charge of. Because I was literally... Literally, I was the part-time associate assistant junior high youth pastor guy. That means you only got a few kids, you know, and, and you get up to senior pastor and then, then reverend or whatever you get called after that. But over the last 15 years, through many times, I didn't feel very like this. It, it didn't seem like this at the time. And so a lot of what I'm going to be sharing is in retrospect. This wasn't something that I learned in Bible college or that I, somebody told me, hey, follow this pattern. This was a lot of just trudging through. And so this is all reflective back on, on how the Lord has, has designed things in, in my area of influence that I get to be a part of. But over the last, really, 15 years, even before I came down to Canby, many times I didn't feel like it. But I realized that God has blessed me with the privilege of stewarding leaders. Which really brings me to my first and most important statement in this gathering. And that is this. We don't raise leaders. God does. It is God's job to identify, to raise up those whom he chooses to lead. It is our job to steward what God is doing in this person's life. That's a big deal. And the reason why that's so important is because we can either take it for granted that we don't raise up leaders or that, you know, and, and think that we, we have it going on and we do this and we do that. Or 
we can run from what we feel like is too much of a burden. And just to say, it's God who raises one up or brings another down. But he puts them in front of us and says, how will you either smooth the road or mess up the road? And really this process that I'm going to be talking to you about is not about this responsibility that you have to go and create leaders. It's to smooth the road for God to create leaders. And so that's the path that we're going to talk about. And that's the first place we need to start is understanding that it is God who raises up leaders. And we get the privilege of being the road workers. We get the privilege of being um, the sign holders and the directors and the coaches all along the way. My first encounter with leadership was about 1999. It was September. We were starting a discipleship group and I had gotten handed a few girls uh, and guys that were about 18 different kids to create a discipleship process. And I remember one of them walked up to me. Her name was Christina Davis and she was at that 12-year-old awkward stage, braces, tall, but kind of lanky. And I remembered we were, we were in our ministry. We were right on the, the, uh, the front lines of when U-Turn was starting. Does everybody remember this years ago? If you were involved in this, it was kind of after the 180 youth church model. And it was called U-Turn. Foursquare had launched it. We were one of the pilot groups. So we're right in the, the middle of this. So everything in our youth ministry looked like, man, we're going to have an arcade. We're going to have a skate park. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. And she approached me and she said this. She goes, Pastor Ryan. I said, yes. She said, "Um, I was thinking I could help you make a big, giant, flashing U-turn sign because my grandfather helped make the Disneyland sign. And that's what she said. And I said, wow, that's amazing. And so I made it a point at that time to get her a graphic of the U-turn sign on a little, this is when we still use, you know, the little floppy disk before CDs. And I handed her the floppy, that's like an eight track nowadays, right? I handed her the floppy disk with a little U-turn logo on it. I said, go for it. And that was one of my first encounters with somebody who wanted to step up to the plate and do a little bit more that wanted to step in to leadership. Now, since that time, a lot has happened. And these things that I want to share with you uh, are really essential elements in creating this path for God to work. This, these words that I'm going to share with you in this process were part of our U-turn vision, but they have evolved into so, so much more. And so we're going to start with the very first part of this process and this path. If if this is a road, this is the entry point to the road. And that is to embrace. In raising leaders, embracing is the first and foremost thing. In verse 1, what we have is we have... Oh, my people, listen to my teaching. Open your ears to what I am saying. You know what this is? This is an all call. Oh, my people. That means, hey, listen up. Everybody, come here. It's an open invitation to all. It wasn't exclusive. It was, oh, my people, here. And it's this all call. And that is the type of environment that we need to have if we're going to raise leaders. We need to have an embracing environment. Let me tell you this. The climate... And the environment that you create for young people, and I'm not talking 
teenagers. I'm talking young people all the way down. But the environment that you create for them to poke and prod will either make or break your ability to raise up leaders. It will make it or it will break it. As a matter of fact, in raising up leaders, the access that young people have to your environment is more important than the program you have on the stage. Because there's a lot more going on outside of the 30 minute, 40 minute, hour and a half presentation that you do. That is the before, the after, it's in the hallways, it's, in the, it's on the windows, it's in the restrooms, it's in all these places. And all of it has got to be a very embracing environment. Think about this. Jesus' ministry was the least polished of his time. It was messy. It was miraculous, but it was messy. In contrast to what the Pharisees were doing in the temples, in in contrast to the perfection, in in contrast to the presentation. Now, there's nothing wrong with being excellent. I believe in excellence. But Jesus, if you compare to what was going on in the synagogues, he was a little radical and a little messy and a little unconventional. But where did the leaders go of that day that changed the world? Did they go to the synagogues and say, I want to be a Pharisee? No, the leaders that ended up changing the entire planet and history itself went to Jesus. Why? Because all of a sudden, there was an embrace of who they were right where they were. There was this open arm like, Come on, let's do this. And it was a little sloppy at times and unexpected and different, but it was embracing. And that's what drew the first most influential godly leaders beyond Jesus that ever lived. Now, let me give you some context. And I don't know if I'm going to step on some toes here. I'm guilty of many of these things that I'm about to share with you, okay? So let me, but this is just to make you think um, for a minute. It's not to change anything or say that this is bad or you can't do this. But, but listen carefully to what I'm about to share with you. Applications. I was sitting in the office of my associate junior high youth pastor part time. No, I was sitting in the office of the guy that helps me with the youth. And he's a young guy that actually grew up in our youth group and now um, helps out or actually leads the U-turn youth ministry. And he had a stack of the U-turn student staff applications. And, uh, and I, I looked at him and I was thumbing through them. And I, I'm just going to say this, okay? I know we need to have applications, but after 11, 12 years, I realized kids put the same stuff on all of them. They do. Are you saved? Well, yeah. Do you love Jesus? Well, yeah. Why do you want to serve? Because I love God and I love people. Okay, yeah. What can you do? I can sing and I can do this. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I understand that. But I, I picked up the set of applications. I was kind of giggling because I remembered how important applications were to me at a point in my ministry. I was like, if I got some applications and that's means I'm doing leadership, right? Because I got all these pieces of paper. I mean, look at this. Look at all these leaders, right? And I kind of giggled and I thought to myself, man, I, and I even shared this with him. That's good, but don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in the that's leadership. Because in some ways that application means that 
you're applying for a job. And you're not applying for a job. You're being called to a ministry. Jesus handed out no applications. He said, you, come here. Let's walk this out. Another thing that's challenging is that everybody knows this. And everybody has seen this. And we do, we do it and we've, we've seen it. How about the sound booth sign? How about the sound booth sign that says, no one over 18 allowed? Right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? We have them. We all have them. Now, maybe there is no one over 18 allowed, and that's okay. Because everybody's got to decide a process. But what does that say to a nine-year-old who is eye-level with that sign, wherever it is on your soundboard? Because every time they walk by, they go, oh. Every time they see that, If there are too many walls, too many fences, too many regulations, too many applications, too many requirements, then what are we saying to this generation? We are saying, we have it so perfect, so structured, so awesome, that you got to jump through a billion hoops to even get invited into the party. And I believe we can have plans, we can have requirements, but the environment... Do we create walls in what we do or do we create bridges? Bridges have structure. You need to have structure. Bridges have requirements. You really need to have requirements in building bridges. They got to be safe. They got to be structured, but they are not a barrier to keep people out. They are a pathway to bring people in. And that is an embracing environment and raising up leaders. I recently got to serve at a winter camp. It was so great to go from central Oregon to Hawaii in like a two-day time span. I mean, I left there, spent two days at home and came here. And I'm like, what? Yes, amazing. So good. But at this winter camp, there was a young man there. And uh, we uh, had a few hundred kids there. It was great. It was just awesome. Great worship. Um, there's a young man, and I don't even know this young man's name. He's involved in the, the junior, or the, he's a junior high student involved in our U-turn ministry. Uh, but I know his face, and we're th- that type of relationship where it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And I walked by the sound booth, and this is at Wild Horse Canyon. Actually, it's Washington Family Ranch. It's a big Young Life camp. I mean, it's just, this camp is just incredible. Five canyons of Disneyland for Jesus stuff. It's really great. Um, and I walked in and everybody's worshiping and I walked in and I noticed him and here's a sound booth here and I noticed he's leaning back. He's got his hood over like this and he's probably about this tall and I walk in and I see everybody worshiping. I look back and all I see him is his hood and he's just staring. He's not worshiping. He's staring and he's staring at the leader, the older leader that's next to him. That's got the computer open. That's doing the PowerPoint slides. And I I stopped and I backed up and I leaned over and I said, you want to do that, don't you? And he looked over to me and he just started crying and went, yeah. Yeah. So I told him on the spot, you go home, you tell Spencer, don't bring him an application. Tell him you want to be involved. And I'm going to call Spencer and tell him you're coming. And that is how we need to view our ministries. If I had been on the stage, 
I'd never seen that. If I'd been too busy running the soundboard, I would never would have seen that. If I'd been too busy, busy running PowerPoint or had too many, I would never would have seen that. But that's, as leaders, what we need to be doing. We need to maneuver through and see these things happening and create this all call of saying, come on, whoever wants to come, come. Let's see how this works out in your life. Come to the table and let's see who gets to do what. I challenge everyone here to go home and look at your policies. Look at your procedures for involving young people and ask yourselves, how embracing are they? Not sloppy, not footloose and fancy free, but how embracing are the paths that we have for our young people to be leaders? I believe everyone is born a leader and then many start being told why they can't or shouldn't along their life. Everybody is a leader in some way. Everybody has the ability to do something important and invest into the kingdom of God. There's an incredible book called Messy Spirituality. And uh, it's a great book. And it's written by, his name escapes me right now, but he was the guy who was, he was, um, he was the creative director for Hallmark Cards. Totally unconventional, totally radical. He's passed away since, but just an amazing guy. And this story, he used to do uh, metal work. And he would do these metal sculptures and take them to schools. And he got to take them to schools and spend uh, all six hours at a school going the first hour to first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. So we do it once a month. And he said no matter what school he went to, the same was true in every single case. And what had happened was he would go in and he would, the first question he would ask all the young people in the first grade class was, how many of you are artists? And everybody would lift their hand. Yeah, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. Yeah, yay. And then he'd go through the second grade and he'd ask the same thing. How many of you are artists? And about 75%, yeah, we're artists. And then third grade, about 50. Fourth grade, about 25. All the way up to sixth grade, where about two kids out of every class would go, yeah, I'm an artist. See, everybody's an artist when they're first starting. You remember, you used to draw, and then people started telling you you couldn't. Same with leadership. Same thing. Let's create embracing environments to make that happen. Amen? I'm moving along here. The second thing, verses 2 and 3. It says, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach to you hidden lessons from our past stories we have heard and know stories our ancestors handed down to us. What this is, is is a conversation because the second part, if the first part is to embrace the second part, which is about right here, is to include. Now I'm going to say something that is going to challenge tradition. I love that. I love challenging tradition. My wife knows that. She hates it sometimes, but... I love it. This is going to rock your world, I think. Maybe not. Have favorites. Have favorites. Listen, have favorites. And what I mean by that, I don't mean 
exalting somebody. I'll talk about that in a second. But I mean, have a few that you know God's called you to raise up specifically. We've got the ministries. We've got the processes. We've got the programs. We've got the churches. We've got the communities. But what about you? You have got to pick a few. Guess what? Jesus had favorites. Jesus had the multitudes. He had the crowds. He had the disciples. He had the apostles. And he had the three. And there was a lot of processing that happened with those three. There was a lot of bouncing ideas. And people got upset a little bit. Well, why does this? Blah, blah, blah. Just like, guys, I'm 100% God, but I'm 100% a human. And there's still only 24 hours in every day. And guess what? I'm not going to be here for very much longer. So I got to do what I can do. And though he spoke profoundly to the multitudes, he processed with the 12 and then the three. He had favorites. He had people that he spoke directly to and into their life. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to announce it in front of anyone. As a matter of fact, please don't. (laughs) Guess what, everybody? These are my favorites. Or that you even have to treat them any differently. You really don't. Just pick a few that you can humanly handle, whatever that limit is. Pick a few that you can humanly handle and do that very, very well. As you run your ministries, as you continue to preach to the multitudes, as you raise, pick a few. Because again, this is how we're talking about leaders now. Pick a few really, really well. They need to be included in your life. They need to be included in your decisions, in your thoughts, just a little more than the multitudes. That's what I'm talking about. As you can see, you don't allow these favorites, listen carefully, you don't allow the favorites to become exalted in ministry. You just allow them to be invasive in your life. Think about that. It's not an external thing. It's not a podium thing. It's not a platform thing. As a matter of fact, it will cost you a lot more with those few than it will ever benefit you. Because you are creating a special opening into you, into your life, by including them in your life, in your decisions, in your thought processes. What I call them is wake students. I don't mean wake on the sad end of things as people pass away. I mean wake like in the water. Creating the waves. Now, the waves are created... By wakes, when you're driving a boat, when you're cutting through the water, there is a pinpoint. If it was a big flat thing, wouldn't happen so well. But because there is a point, because there is a few at the a, a small point at the front of a boat, that's how you get the cut in the water. And I don't know if you've ever done that and then turned back around and rode over the wakes, but if you wait a little while, the waves are humongous. But they wouldn't be that way if there was not a pinpoint cut in the water. You see, you will find, if you find a few wake students, if you find a a few wake four-year-olds, that after a while, when you circle back around of who they're influencing and what inspiration they're creating in others, you're going to have multitudes that you will not even be able to contain. It will be so amazing. And that is what Jesus did. The Lord asked me, one of them was this girl, Christina, and the other one was this young man, Spencer, who runs U-Turn. When I first came aboard, he said, put your hand on this one and this one. Not literally, but, but spiritually, put your hand on this one and this one. And I just remember it so significantly. 
And as they became older, the Lord said, now put your hand on this one. Always a guy and a girl, always about the same age. I'm into my third run in this. And God's already speaking to me about a couple sixth graders. And it's just been simple. It's been simple to process this and just walk through this as I'm doing ministry because it keeps, number one, it keeps the process going and it keeps me grounded. Oh man, do we need to be grounded on just a few. Because if we lose perspective, if we lose sight in our stuff that we do, in our children's programs, in our college ministries and all these things, if we lose sight and if this ever becomes all we do and all we think about, we, we're going to stand here alone someday because nobody's going to know us and nobody's going to know Jesus. And so we got to get, we can be up here, man. We can throw a party. Yeah. But when we get off, we got to be thinking about the two or the three. How is this affecting them? What are they thinking? What are they seeing? How are they invasive into my life? Praise God, huh? Praise God. Praise God. Listen, um, you ask any leader, <laughs> and most will say this, they were changed at an event, but raised by a person. You don't hear a lot of people saying, I was raised up at an event. They were changed. Yeah, and that's why we do those things. They are catalytic in nature. But they're raised by leaders. They're raised by people. Each person is here today. Because they were included. Each person, I guarantee it, each person is here today in this room because they were somebody's favorite. Somebody's. Praise God. You ready to move on? You good? I'm getting emotional. But I'm not on drugs, hey. Um <laughs> The middle part of this on this path is really listed in verse uh, four. It says this. We will not hide these truths from our children, but will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell of his power and the mighty miracles that he did. This is where it really gets scary. Because we've embraced them, we've included them, and now it's time to invest. To invest in them. This is where things get pretty scary. This is where it starts to turn. The definition of investment is to contribute with hopes of, but no guarantee of return. Okay? Investment is to contribute with hopes of, but no guarantee of return. If there was a guarantee, it would be a purchase. There is no guarantee that anything that you do, give up, sacrifice for this next generation will ever work. No guarantee. That's the challenge. And that's the beauty of it. I don't know about you, but I'm a little risky. I like it. I like not knowing if something's going to work out. In the moment, I hate it. 
But I keep doing it over and over again for some reason because I get a little rush or something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But you know what's beautiful is Jesus himself had no guarantee. Think about this. He went to the cross as a man and as God. And he went through it all, even at a point wanting to turn away. And he hung on that cross. And he was already nailed to that cross when he got a glimmer of hope. There's only one disciple there. The historians say John was probably the only person there. So it was already looking pretty bleak. And he had no guarantee that when he passed, that he had no guarantee because of man's free will that one person would ever stand in a church or a, 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 a synagogue or any place and say, I received Jesus into my heart. Do you realize that? Because of our free will, he laid it all on the line. He said, this has got to work because this is all I got. This is what the Father has told me to do and I will lay it all down. And God did give him a little glimmer of hope as he leaned over to one of the people and they said, please set me. He says, yeah, I'm going to see you a little later. I'll see you in a few. But up to the cross, no guarantees. That's what investment is. No guarantees. Guarantees, And that's why it's so challenging. What investment to the next generation leader looks like, it's twofold. Okay? This is a simple, what does it look like? How do we invest? What does that mean? Does it mean this? This is what it means. Let them have your time and your resources. As Fernando very well put it out. Let them have your time and your resources. Okay, that's the first one. The second one, let them touch your stuff. You know what? We do the first one really well, don't we? Even the senior pastors, oh, we're going to give money to the youth. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to bless. We're going to just, we're going to give them a budget. We're going to give them $50 a month. <laughs> but do they let them behind the soundboard? Do they let them touch our stuff? We do so good in the first one, but we're challenged in the second one. Why? Because the first one's on our terms. We get to, oh, we decide how we're going to do this. The second one's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I wasn't expecting that. Right? I wasn't expecting somebody to set the transformer on fire outside. (laughs) The second one is far more risky for us. Jesus was risky (laughs) when it came to people wanting to touch his stuff. Think about it. Think about Jesus with the children who interrupted everything just for a blessing. They messed up his program. They were like getting all in there. Disciples, man, they had it going on. They were like, nope, nope, this is the Lord. This is God. People have died touching this man. Do you realize this? Back in the temple when they would, yeah. (laughs) But look at how Jesus responded. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. Unexpected. Let it happen. Let him touch. Let him come in. Look at Jesus and the woman who actually reached out and touched his garment when he was on his way. I mean, he could have walked by and went, healed a rat. You know, or anybody touches me, blah, 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 and they all just get healed. No, he stopped. And it interrupted his stuff and messed him up. And she grabbed him. Like, what? 
I think there wasn't secret service back in those days, right? That girl would have been toast. Jesus didn't do that. He stopped and he talked and he interrupted his program. He let people touch it. Look at Zacchaeus. Well, a hated man in a tree like, hey, he's walking. Dinner. Me and you. Now, my whole, all my plans. Handed his iPad to somebody else. Said, okay, we're going to dinner now. <laughs> Messed everything up. They touched his stuff. And he let it happen. That's an investment. That's a risk. Think about Jesus going to the house of a sinner, tax collector, hated person. That's a risk. Especially when you got a following. It's a risk. But that investment dictates risk. Over and over, Jesus set the standard for his disciples that although we do give intentionally, sometimes, even many times, maybe even most times, things get interrupted. These interruptions are the riskiest investments, but also the most blessed and fruitful. Are you guys still with me? A couple more points, but I have to tell you the story about where it, and when we were in Houston convention a few years ago. As a matter of fact, this was a time that I had uh, the the remember the, the the wake leaders. I had the young man sitting here, the young lady sitting here, and they were passing communion around. Okay, so this was, the Lord was messing with me on this trip. Houston convention, all the seats are like this and like this, and there's a stage in the middle, and it was a great convention. I got a really funny story that I'll tell you another time about that convention. Um, and the last episode had lost, and Ron Luce trying to finish his sermon while the season finale of Lost was going on. But that's another story. Um. And I was sitting there and I was watching and I was already messed up because God told me, he said, this is the last time you will take communion with these two with your hands on them because there's others. I was like, communion, leadership, Jesus. Um, But I remember at a point when I was watching, I was actually watching Ron Lu speak. And um, I asked the Lord, Lord, what is this going to cost me? What is my investment? Where do you want me? In the next years of my life. Because here's Ron Luce. Got all these leaders. I got the stuff. There's people. And I'm thinking, you want me like a Ron Luce someday? Do you want me like an usher someday? Do you want me as a, one of these senior pa- I'm like literally scouring out this convention as it's going on. Asking, Lord, where, do you, where would you have me? What, is, what will it cost me? What's my investment? And he showed me. And what he showed me in that moment was me laying across the steps going up to the stage with my feet on the ground, the tip of my toes touching the ground and the very tip of my finger touching the stage and an entire generation walking across my back. He says, that's where I want you. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus for that vision, for that view. And I'm like, That'll cost me everything, and that'll be so worth it. I don't know if one kid will ever walk across that. I don't know if they'll pay any attention to anything I've ever told them. But boy, that's sure where I want to die. I don't want to die up here. I don't even necessarily want them to die sitting down. I want to die being used and be as a bridge, a cost, an investment this generation. Amen?
We're continuing on with the journey. Now, let me share this with you. We've only got probably about 15 more minutes, right? Really? Is that good? All right. Woo! It's going to get good now. Okay, I'm moving stools. Watch out. Okay, I'll move it back, I'm sure. I'm just fidgeting, actually. Um, The embracing, the including, and the investing is right where the world stops if there's no return. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. The entire world that is also trying to reach a generation because that's where the money for their companies are going to be in a few years. I mean, have you seen Disney Channel? It's 1983 MTV. That's all I'm saying. I was there when MTV started. I turned on the Disney Channel and went, whoa, back in time. It's crazy. And I'm I'm not against Disney by any means, but I'm just saying that there is a marketing world going after our young people. But the difference is, is they'll embrace them. Come on, you're the new generation. We love you. Come aboard. They'll include them. We want you on our team. We want you helping us develop. They'll spend money on them and invest. And if there's not a payback, it's breaks. Because they got to think about that. But we as the church, that's where we step in. That's where we really shine. Because we go beyond that. If there's not a return, we still did it for Jesus. We still were a bridge. We still laid down our lives. And that's the point. And so we step beyond. It was funny when, in thinking about this when we were doing it for a U-turn. I'm drawing, I'm drawing the big U-turn arrow like this. I'm going, yeah, Embrace, include, invest. Next one I'm going to tell you. And I went through it. And I went, where does the where does the world stop? And I went, and I went, oh, it's a Nike swoosh. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Not against Nike either, but I'm just telling you. It's an interesting, interesting phenomenon. So what do we move on to? Verse 5 says this. For he issued his decree to Jacob. He gave his law to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. This is all about equipping. We've embraced them. We've included them. We invested them. Now we got to equip them. Teach them the decrees. And, and I have to say this. Equipping young leaders does not mean teaching them to operate our ship or to build a ship that looks like ours. Though we can use both of those as methods. Equipping an up-and-coming generation is about teaching them to correctly use the tools and the laws of shipbuilding. It's the tools... That they will build the ships with, and it is the laws of buoyancy and sailing and all these things. You gotta have a curve, you gotta have this. That's how we equip our young people because I'm gonna tell you something. The up and coming generation may have a whole different looking boat. And God may be calling them to a whole different destination. So we can't spend our time telling them where to go. And we can't spend our time telling them to build a boat just like ours. We have to just say, here's the hammer. Don't hit yourself in the head with it. Hit this little nail. 
Here's the business end of the hammer. Here's the not business end. And say, now, do it. And teach them how to do it. Where's the tool? Tool. One of the things we experienced with some of our preteens at our church is we had all these kids going into seventh grade, going into discipleship, going into leadership that couldn't find the book of John. And when they did, they thought it was about a guy named John. And we realized that somewhere along the line with our kids, we're teaching them the stories and the morality of the stories, but we're not teaching them the tool of the word of God. What is this thing? What are the books of the law and prophets and prophecy and the poetic books? And what are the book of Acts? Is it like a play? Act one, act two, act three, act one. No, (laughs) but that's how they think if we don't teach them about the tool. We transformed our whole, our whole preteen ministry. And that's all we do in discipleship. We teach them the business end of this amazing sword that we're about to hand them in life. The word of God. Not to memorize it. I don't have it memorized. I'm not, I don't have the books of the Bible memorized. I'm sorry, I don't. But I do know what the books of the law and prophecy. And that's where we really need to train our kids. What does this tool look like? It's equipping them to use the tools of leadership, to use the tools of how to build a church, how to be in ministry. What are the essentials? It really is about one thing. Discipleship. Oh, discipleship. If there's any requirement that I suggest to making leaders, if you're going to require them to do anything, it would be that they are involved in a discipling environment. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to be accountable and growing and involved. Somebody speaking into their life. We're not perfect. You see, get them in a discipling environment and you will have leaders coming out of everywhere. So what does discipleship look like? It's simple. Two things. If you're wondering, it's not about a program. It's about two things. You, if you mix these two things together, you're going to have discipleship if it's consistent. And that's a deeping relationship and a growing knowledge. If you have them in a deepening relationship with someone, a believer and with Jesus, and you have them in a growing knowledge, precept upon precept, you have discipleship. However that looks, get them involved. In raising up young leaders, I believe requiring them to do this is not just a good idea. It's not just a project. It is a mandate that we require our leaders to step into a discipling process. It's a mandate from God. And so we've got to say, get in something. Get discipled, get led, get pastored, get mentored. Jesus did it very simply by saying these simple words, come follow me. That was the names of Jesus's discipling ministry. Also known as CFM. They had a little t-shirt, CFM, come follow me. Come follow me. (laughs) That was it. You like that, don't you? (laughs) Disciple, the word disciple, and we're almost done here. I got one more point after this and I promise then we're still good. We started late, so I'm just going to milk this. Okay. Okay. Disciple means student. So there is learning involved. But even further at its core, it is taken from the word that means to analyze thoroughly. To analyze thoroughly. It's not just a follower. 
It's a student who can analyze thoroughly. And if you take that word and split it in half, you know what it is? It means to take apart. This, apart, couple, take. So really, when we look at what discipleship is, what this equipping is, how this process happens, here's what it is. We need to have a relationship that teaches students to analyze and take things apart, to question, to dig in. As Fernando was sharing, feed themselves. They can go to all the classes you teach, but if they can't teach one, we're missing something. We need to teach them to take it apart. Let me tell you, many people in churches today, and it probably started when they were younger, know how to drive their faith. Some have Volkswagens, some have Corvettes. But a lot of people know how to drive their faith. They know how it works. They hop in, turn it on, it goes, they stop, they get gas. That's a lot of what faith is for people nowadays. It's the car, it's the vehicle to God. So many people know how to drive their faith. But leaders are the ones who are trained to get under the hood and work on it. Leaders are the ones that can take that car apart and put it back together again. Leaders are the ones who, when there's a problem, can pull over to the side of the road and look at this and analyze it. And even if they can't fix it themselves, they know where to take it to get fixed. They know what's going on. See, we got a lot of dummy lights and brand new cars, and we also have a lot of casings over engines now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You can't even get in a new car, let alone work on it. And I think that's sometimes what we've done, maybe with a generation or two. We put on the little dummy lights and little thing. Okay, just, it's cool. Man, we need to teach leaders to work on their car, work on their faith. Get in there, get their hands dirty, and take this thing apart. And now, for the most important and, by far, the most frightening one. And it's told to us in verse 6. We do all this for a reason. So, the next generation might know them. (laughs) Even the children not yet born. That they, in turn, might teach their children... See, this last process or part of the road is to entrust them. We have to come to that place. Everyone in this room will be gone someday. We're all going to be gone. Whether you're closer to that or really far away from that, we're all going to be gone. Who is going to be left in your role? If you're not thinking about that now, You are too late. Who will replace you? If you are 15, you need to be thinking, who's going to replace you? Who are the eight-year-olds in your life? I don't know if you're... Are you 15? 14. Well, good. You got one more year to think about it. (laughs) But who is the eight-year-old that's going to be wearing that? Does she know what it feels like on her head right now? Have you ever walked through her and seen her walk by and said, here, come here, I want you to try this on. It's scary because that's nice equipment, right? But that's what this is about. 
It's about really entrusting them. I ask you this question. If everyone over 30 disappeared one day, in other words, let's say Jesus said, rapture's going to happen in two parts, 30 and up, 30 and below. Could happen, who knows, right? If it did happen and there was any type of time span in between and everybody over 30 disappeared one day, would your church still function? Ask yourself that question. I asked my pastor that question one day. And like Ron Swore does, he said, I don't know, let's find out. August 1st and 2nd, nobody does anything unless they're under 30. The whole weekend, everything. Everybody at the tables, I'm like, yes! Everybody else is like, "Uh uh-oh. And so we did a next-gen weekend. We've done three now. Where everything, on all the weekend service, I'm not talking about it's a youth service. I'm talking about the ushering, the children's ministry, the youth, everything functions normal, the preaching, the deciding what's going to be preached, how the stage is going to look, how loud worship's going to be, how quiet worship's going to be, whatever it is, even the guy that takes the money and puts in the safe in the secret office. That's scary. And that is everything. And it was so funny talking to one of our pastors as we were doing this. And she was so uh, blessed by it. She goes, oh, good. The kids are going to help out. I went, kind of, yeah. She's like, okay, great. Well, give me some names. Okay, so who, who, do you, who are the older adults you want in charge? And I went, anybody as long as they're under 30. And she goes, oh, I know that. But, but I mean, like the person that's really going to be overseeing it. Like I have all these great grandmas and they're going to. No, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. They're not going to be there that week. Well, we have to have older people there. I mean, it was just this great conversation. And again, it turned around. It was great. It actually, it actually inspired her to not just be t- teaching her children's ministry teachers to teach, but teaching her children's ministry teachers to teach the junior helpers how to teach because she knew it changed everything. So I ask you to ask yourself that question How does that look in your context? I'm 45, so it included me. I had the weekend off. If we do not have that in our systems right now, the heart to entrust all that we do with someone up and coming, then this up and coming generation won't wait until we do. They won't wait. They're not going to wait for us to hand it to them. You know why? Because they're already finding other places that will. Katy Perry, great story. Lots. There's lots. Remember, the world's doing the same thing. The world's letting them do things that they're too young to do, technically. And that's what they're finding. And that's where they'll go if we don't give them to it now. Jesus had this incredible ability to say to his leaders, go and try This is yours. Go and do. And then he had to watch it happen. As we begin to close here, I've got two quick illustrations for you. The first is an illustration of leadership. And it has been something that the Lord spoke to my heart and I've imparted to to adult leaders, but also young leaders. Because I expect expect 15-year-olds to give up their stuff too. And it's an illustration that has helped me as I 
walk away from leadership. In Oregon, we have Mount Hood. It's a beautiful mountain. In Canby, where we are, we can see it on a clear day. It's gorgeous. Snow, a lot of, most of the year. Beautiful, beautiful mountain. And I've often, in times in leadership, wrestled with the whole mountain climbing analogy or climbing the corporate ladder or climbing ministry or like this. And the reason why I've always struggled with it just a little bit in my heart is, is I've realized, well, there's only room for one person on the top. And I know there, there's such thing as too many, you know, cooks in, in the kitchen and, and we can't just have everybody doing everything and deciding. But I remember struggling with, well, what is that? What do you do then? Then you're God? Or then you get climb a little rope to God? I don't know. When you get to the top of the ministry that you're doing, And the Lord showed me this picture of what leadership really is. And what it is, is this. My time in ministry is time on the mountain. It's time where I get to climb around, touch everything. I'm not a mountain climber by any means, but just that time where you're exploring and you're touching and seeing the things and you're walking around and you're just seeing how beautiful it is and you can smell it, you can feel it and you know it and you know where the caves are and you know where these things are. And maybe if you're ambitious, you literally are trying to climb to the top. But what's the next stage of leadership? What's the next stage of that? It's not to go to another mountain. It's to come off the mountain, take one step back, grab somebody, put them in front of you, say, you go and I got your back. And as you go... And as you wonder what dangers might lurk, I'm going to say, hey, I, I, I got hurt there. Be careful. Or, hey, there's a great place to grab onto right there. And then what's their job? When they get done, they take a step back and you take another step back and another step back and another step back and another step back. And I'm telling you, as leaders, if we want to impart leadership to people, that is your whole life. That is the leaders that step back and let others and coach them because every leader needs to know not there's something impossible for me to do and I'm just staring at some guy's butt. (laughs) Right? But they need to think, I can go have this adventure and I know somebody's got my back. And the emboldenedness in a young person's life to know someone's there to catch them and coach them is empowering. Because I'm going to tell you something. I like the smell of the mountains. But oh, the view of Mount Hood from 50 miles away is beautiful. Because you can see the whole thing. You can paint pictures of it. You can tell people stories of it and say, see that? I was there. And the beautiful part about that is there is no end to that. There is no limit to that. You can raise up as many leaders as you want. There's not a limit. You can keep stepping back, keep giving things over, keep letting somebody else do what you do, keep putting stepping people in, and your view gets greater because then you get to see the beauty of the mountain and the multitudes in front of you doing the same thing. What does all this produce? (laughs) I shared with you in the very, very beginning my first encounter with the leader, young lady. Seventh grade, a little awkward. Going to make me a U-turn sign. Never happened. I don't even, I didn't even get the disc back. I don't even know where that disc is. I wish I could find that because now it's a story. 
never made a big flashy U-turn sign in our youth building. Never happened. That young lady is now the first female pastor of our church on staff with us. And that's an amazing part of the story. But something else happened. Fast forward from embracing to entrusting. Standing in the U-turn youth building maybe a year ago. Multitudes of leaders later, hundreds of leaders later, a decade, over a decade later. The young man walked in who, at that time, I barely knew his name. He had been involved in discipleship and leadership with other leaders that we had passed on to. So a lot of kids leading other kids. And he didn't know me very well. And he walks into the room. He's real good with gadgets and things like this. He walks in. I'm standing probably from here to that flag from him. He goes, hey, Pastor Ryan. I go, hey, Nolan, how you doing? So I made something for you. I'm like, really? And he holds up this little black box, little square box, about this big. And he holds it up. There's a little switch on the top. And he reaches over and he clicks it on. And flashing before my eyes, all the way across our U-turn building, is this little, tiny, homemade sign that flashed U-turn, U-turn. Turn, you turn. And I just stared at her and I said, You do not know how much that means to me. That kid's not in my discipleship class. I'm, I'm not his personal mentor. But that very beginning, some lady wanting this to happen, all the way to the end, and it's not the end, but all the way to this point. Or some kid just out of the good. Nobody told him about the, he just did it. You get the same results. And there's so much better. There's so much better in the long run. So what do we do with all these leaders when we get them to that place? What do we entrust them to? We entrust them to go over here and do exactly the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the privilege, Lord, to smooth the road for you to work on the road, to fill the potholes, to create the signs, to help your process of raising up leaders happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray every person here is both challenged as I am, but also blessed, encouraged, comforted, inspired. And Father, I pray that every person in this room collaborates, shares stories, experiences, challenges, fears even, Lord, about what this might look like. And I pray, Lord God, for a faucet being turned on and that there is a gushing of leaderships, leadership that comes out of these islands, Lord God, more powerful than any volcano, more consuming than any tsunami or any wave, more beautiful than the island itself, Lord God overwhelmed, Lord Jesus, by the leaders that you 
have raised up. So we give you the praise, you the glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we applaud Jesus right now? Good God.